I was afraid to go. I was afraid that the things that I saw in the news, that we were in danger, that we were going to get hurt, that every police officer was going to pull us over and try to bribe us for money. And I'm so glad that we went in 2019 and had the experience that we did in Mexico and repeated it again with our trip to Baja in 2020 because people in other countries are welcoming, they're generous, they're gracious, they're like us, they have families, they're trying to earn a living. There's just so much commonality of the human experience. That was Eric and Brittany Highland of Hourless Life, and this is episode six of the Guy GPS Off-Road Podcast. Eric, Brittany, and their four-year-old son, Caspian, are launching an around-the-world overlanding trip in their Jeep Gladiator. We recorded this episode just days before they crossed the border from Texas into Mexico. We'll dig deep into their detailed preparations, the vehicle that will be their home for the next, well, 10 to 15 years, and their thoughts on raising a child in a fully mobile lifestyle. But first, let me tell you about these great deals from Trails Off-Road and Gaia GPS. Wondering where to go on your next off-road adventure? Well, then you need to head on over to trailsoffroad.com. Trails Off-Road has thousands of fully curated trail guides scattered all across the U.S. Each trail guide has a GPS track with waypoints for campsites, epic scenery, points of interest, and connecting trails, which can be sent directly to your guide GPS account with a single finger press. And right now, Trails Off-Road is offering a special discount for guide GPS off-road podcast listeners. Just go to trailsoffroad.com slash podcast for this great deal. Remember, know before you go with Trails Off-Road. And wherever you decide to go, Guide GPS is there for you. If you're following one of Trails Off-Road's trail guides, Guide GPS is there for you with a motor vehicle use map layer. Headed down to Baja this winter for some serious off-roading, Guide GPS is there for you. The Nat Geo Map Baja layer will give you the lowdown on all the great sites to see and trails to amazing beach camping. If you're like the Highlands and you're headed out on an around-the-world multi-year expedition, Guide GPS is there for you as well. From A to Z, that's Albania to Zimbabwe, the Gaia, Topo, and Gaia Streets layers span the globe. What? You don't have Gaia GPS? Well, we're here for you too. Just go to www.gaiagps.com slash podcast and get a sweet 20% off right now. Okay, let's get going with Brittany and Eric as they get ready to depart on their global overland journey. Eric, Brittany, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. How are you guys doing? We are doing great. We are excited and just skipping around like... Yeah, lots of adrenaline. Lots of adrenaline. We're shaking. Brittany hasn't been sleeping very well. Uh, I can imagine so. Now, how many days before you actually cross the border to start your trip around the world? As of this taping, four days. We anticipate crossing October 9th in Piedras Negras, which is uh, west of where we're at now, Mm -hmm. about three and a half hours, Mm -hmm. and then heading down towards Saltillo and then towards San Luis Potosí. So that's going to be the the first part of the journey. So on a one to 10 scale, where's your anticipation level right now? 15. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't don't know that it would register on that. (laughs) 
I you can know, fully it, understand. It, yeah, it's really interesting way because what's different about this crossing? I mean, this is not our first international border crossing. It's not our first time into interior Mexico. But there's something unique about this crossing. When we cross the border this time, there's no date in which we're coming back. So every other time we've crossed an international border, there's been almost like this finality to it. There's been this end where we knew, okay, we're crossing now, but in three months we'll be back. And right. this time when we cross, we cross the border and the only thing ahead of us is the horizon. And that right there is such a humbling thing to consider. And so we're we're terribly excited. That's why I said, I, I don't know that we can register on a one to 10 scale. Well, I'll tell you what, for the benefit of our listeners that might not have been following you along, let's kind of go back and start at the beginning here. Tell me a little bit about each of you and your backgrounds up to where you met. So my name is Brittany Highland. I'm here with my husband, Eric Highland, and we have a four-year-old son, Caspian, together. And I've known Eric for a very long time. We just celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary this year, but we've known each other about double <laughs> that, so a very long time. And uh, I basically went straight from university to working for a startup with Eric, and then we went together into self-employment. So I've had a very unconventional work background, but travel has always been a constant in my life. My family's from Canada and my parents immigrated to the United States. And so almost all my family is still in Canada. So a family vacation for us, meant hopping in the minivan with no air conditioning and the five of us going from the Gulf Coast of Texas to the Northwest Territories in Canada. And so I was overlanding long before I ever knew <laughs> what overlanding was. <laughs> yeah, wait, in my background, I was in the, uh, you know, I was a pizza delivery driver at 19 years old, having graduated from high school, ended up joining the Coast Guard and spent 20 years in the United States Coast Guard. Uh, so my whole career has been law enforcement, has involved travel, has involved minimalism, uh, left there, went to work for the King County Sheriff's Office up in Seattle, and then for Texas TPS uh, before Brittany and I started creating a whole slew of businesses mm -hmm. to uh, kind of start realizing this dream. And so I basically hit the wife lottery when I married Brittany because she's a minimalist uh, who loves to travel. And I was already traveling with minimal equipment in here. And so it was a natural fit. And it was my idea to travel full time. And it was Brittany's idea to drive around the world. And so we're just well suited for each other and for this journey. All right. So you said it was your idea to uh, begin to go nomadic. At what point did you make that decision? And how did you first start off? not living in a home that had a foundation, but one that had wheels. Uh, we started in on February 21st, 2014. That was the very first day that we started, but obviously the idea germinated prior to that. Probably mm -hmm. a couple of years. A couple of years. Mm -hmm. And so we were very intentional about it. And this was long before, you know, the term digital nomadism was a thing or remote working was a thing. And so when Brittany and I were first together, I remember distinctly there was... We went to Cancun. What year was that? Was that 2000? It was 2016. 2016. Mm -hmm. We went to Cancun and I had some work to do, Wade, and I had popped open my computer and there was a, uh, we weren't staying at a hotel. We were just kind of staying at, we were at this little beach area 
but there was a hotel there that we had paid to use like their facility and there was a Wi-Fi. And so I had mm -hmm. my computer on my lap and I was, was actually working from the beach in Cancun. And there was this realization moment where I was like, if I can do this, I can do this from anywhere in the world, as long as there's internet. And again, it wasn't something common back then. So th there weren't, right. you know, Facebook mm -hmm. groups and, and, you know, websites dedicated to this. It was just a realization. It was an aha moment. And at that point in time, I, I told Brittany, I was like, I want to travel full time. Like we, we could totally do this from the road. Yeah, that was the seed of our international travel. Right. But we had been working on traveling full time since about 2012. And we had built up an online marketing company because as long as we had internet, we could do our work for our clients. And so we uh, put in a couple right. years of preparation on our online marketing company. And we also had a blog about the city of Austin. And so mm -hmm. we had to grow a team of writers who could do the stories while we were on the road and we could do everything else. So yeah, we were really mm -hmm. excited to finally get on the road in 2014. And back then it was in an RV. That's where we started our full time right. travel. Yeah. So you kind of begin in the RV world. And uh, I heard a cute story about your first night in your RV and <laughs> something that happened the next morning. So you want to tell us about that? Yeah. yeah. That first night was an accident. Yeah, it was an accident. What happened was we were in Austin and we had the RV in storage. We were still emptying out our place, mm -hmm. but there was a freeze warning. And if you've ever been to Austin, there's never a freeze warning in Austin. So this was really strange. And we had never owned an RV, so we didn't know what we were doing. But was, we knew that it wasn't winterized. Right, so the RV right. was not ready for freezing temperatures. Right. So we thought to ourselves, okay, this is this is like an emergency situation. <laughs> like we, we have no idea what we're doing. We had never really driven the RV. And we were like, the pipes are going to freeze. They're going to burst. They're going to cause all these problems. going to ruin this RV that we just bought. <laughs> yeah. And, and we got to go get plugged in. We got to get some heat and stuff going. So mm -hmm. we made a reservation at McKinney Falls State Park in Austin, which, by the way, is inside the Austin city limits. And we picked up our RV and we went down there and we plugged in. And we had hardly anything because it was like a, a rush thing. Like we grabbed some clothes. Well, the RV wasn't even clean. We bought it used and right. I hadn't had a chance to clean it. And the previous owner had a dog or something, which really <laughs> freaked me out because there was dog hair everywhere. Right. So it was just this really funny situation. And so so we, we went that night and we spent the night. Everything was fine. But the next morning we woke up and I remember I was sitting on the couch and Brittany was kind of sitting on one of the armchairs facing me. And I looked over and on our, our, our side view mirror of the RV, a red hawk had landed. Mm. And it was a beautiful hawk. And he just, his talons were gripped onto our mirror. And I looked at him and I wanted to capture it, you know, capture a photo. So I'm crawling on the floor of the RV <laughs> with my camera to try and get a picture of this bird. But it was just, it was really cool. It was, uh, it was that was the very first day. It was kind of a sign, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. What kind of RV? I mean, they come in different sizes and varieties. Mm -hmm. So what, what are you working with here at the beginning? Yeah, this was a 2004 Tiffin Phaeton, which was a big diesel pusher RV. It was 10 years old when we bought wow. it, but a very high quality, powerful, heavy RV. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. It was, uh, it was a big brick. Um, a very powerful big brick, heavy big brick. And well, you gotta understand the reason I say that is because we had never 
we had never driven anything larger than a moving truck. We had no experience with this. Right. You know, and so this was all new to us. I, I'll never forget the very first time when the previous owners pulled up and parked it, they hit the air brake. And I didn't even know what that sound was. So they hit mm. this big, and I like jumped back, like, what was that? And the guy just looks at me, he goes, it was the air brake. He hands me the keys and I'm like, looking at him like, well, what do I do? He goes, drive it around the block. And that was kind of the start. You, know? so. you began to transition over time, though, to smaller and smaller vehicles. So you went to a smaller RV and then you got a Jeep, correct? Yeah. So basically what happened was we had the 40 foot RV. We got a Jeep Wrangler for off-roading and mm -hmm. that was because Eric's a disabled veteran and his knees, he has a lot of knee pain and we weren't able to get hiking as far out as others could. And so right. we got a Jeep that we could take off road to reach those places that we couldn't get on foot, but it was built for rock crawling. So it had steel bumpers and a lot of suspension and it was lifted and the whole nine yards. And um, then we did start transitioning to overlanding was our next transition. And so we mm. sold our 40 foot RV and moved into the Jeep Wrangler next to see if we really liked overlanding. That seemed like a good way to test it was to sell our home and move into a Jeep. <laughs> And that's yeah. literally, <laughs> we, we sold the RV, we grabbed our two-year-old, we went to our very first Overland Expo, which was in uh, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. It was Overland Expo East 2018. Uh, we put a fridge in, some Tupperware containers in the back, sold our only home, moved into the Jeep, and took our two-year-old into interior Mexico. That was our, our first trip. I mean, if you're going to go, go big, right? Right. You know, just do it think. all at one time. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Okay. So now there was a mention of a two-year-old. So we have to talk about Caspian a little bit here. You're living on the road full time and you decide to have a child. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He and, wasn't an accident. He was on purpose. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I heard you say that. And so Caspian, beautiful child. Caspian goes straight from the hospital to living on the road. Yeah. yeah, that's he, all that he knows. He's never known a life apart from this, straight from the birthing room of the hospital to our vehicle, and and um, he is quite a kid. And I know Wade, you've had a chance to meet him. I wish the whole oh, world yeah. could. Oh yeah, he's such an incredible little guy. Yeah. So, when you're on the road, life doesn't stop. I mean, there's all these these life events uh, that you have. So, I mean, obviously you have a child, and now then you're having to take care of a child on the road. Medical issues arise, and you have to take care of that. I mean, life is life just continues on. Tell me some of the lessons you learned from that aspect of being on the road. That's so true. It's such a good point, and one that we share with people who aspire to full-time travel. Um, because if you're cut out for this, if you have wanderlust inside of you, then this is a wonderful life. But it's not all positives. There are a lot of logistics that you have to deal with. And in fact, they're a lot harder when you travel full time. For example, with our insurance setup, we have a primary care physician who's in one location. And if we need to go to a specialist because someone has an earache, we're supposed to go see our primary care manager in order to get to an ear doctor. And so there's just all these layers <laughs> built into you know, to normal life, quote unquote, that don't mesh very well with full-time travel. 
And so we've learned to be flexible. We've learned to roll with the punches as much as we can. And we do just try and educate people that, you know, this is the reality of full-time travel is some big challenges along with all the wonderful days. And, I, and I'd like to add to that, uh, Wade, that, you know, Brittany's correct. It does make it more challenging, but that's not the encouragement. The encouragement is we've been doing it for four years full-time with our son. Yes. And so as you have people listening to this podcast, our encouragement is it's possible, it's doable, we're living examples of it and our and our son has benefited greatly from this lifestyle and so if people are on the fence i don't want them to hear oh it's going to be more challenging it's going to be more difficult look that's the reality of it right it's not impossible and the benefits completely outweigh the challenges exactly and i mean there are so many positives and yeah any life there's always that there's positives there's negatives or challenges and so you have to find the one that fits uh, for you changing subjects a bit when did you come up guys come up with hourless life and what does that mm -hmm. mean to you the idea for hourless life came about at the close of 2019 when we did a massive life regroup and life regroups are fairly common for us. It's really the way that we power all of these changes in our lives is to stay really organized and focused on our goals. And at the end of 2019, we already knew that we were going to drive around the world and we had a lot of changes that we need needed to make to our business structure because up until then we were completely internet reliant monday through friday more than nine to five i mean as business owners we were working much more than a 40-hour work week and we already had two travel blogs. We had RV Wanderlust, which was about our full-time RV travels. And we had Jeepsies, which started out as an off-roading blog, but morphed into overlanding mm -hmm. as well. And so in all of these transitions that we were anticipating, we decided that we wanted to combine the content that we had on RV Wanderlust and Jeepsies into one new brand for our family. And to make that our one business, to go from five business entities that we had built over the course of the years to only one. And the Hourless Life name is so special to us. It is, but we almost have to backtrack a little bit, Wade, because Brittany casually mentions that we had these five businesses and you know two blogs mm -hmm. and all this stuff, mm -hmm. but it was a lot of work, but we had, um, you know, we had gone from nothing from, you know, really meager, you know, means, so to speak, to mm -hmm. a place in our lives through the through hard work of uh, where we financially didn't really have too many concerns and we were able to go wherever we wanted or do what we needed. But the more successful we became by what I would say are the world standards, uh, the more it cost our family. And, you know, the reason we started traveling full time is we wanted to spend more time together. Right. We wanted to enjoy each other's company more. We wanted to use our time wisely. And the more successful we became, the less time we had together. And so your question was, you know, how, how did Hourless Life come about? Well, everything Brittany said is 100% correct. But what happened was we ended up having to have like this life regroup where we locked ourselves in our RV and we took out a piece of paper 
And we started writing down all of the things that were important to us that we wanted out of life. So more time together, you know. And I told Brittany, I said, look, everything's fair game. Whatever's important to you goes on this piece of paper. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm going to go first. And we're people of faith. So I wrote the word God. And then Brittany wrote family. And then I wrote travel. And then she wrote another word. And I wrote another word. And mm. eventually the whole page was filled with things that were important to us. The most important right. things. The things us. that we really wanted to be key in our lives or experience out of life. And we took those and we distilled them down into four categories, trying to figure out what was it that we really wanted out of life. And those four categories ended up becoming our family mission statement, which is love explore, study, and share. And so the idea became, and that spells less, by the way, and having mm -hmm. been a military guy, you have to have the acronyms. <laughs> Correct. So, and it applies, right? Because we live with yeah. less. But, you know, love, explore, study, share. And the idea was if it doesn't, if anything we're doing doesn't fall into that family mission statement, then we need to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. We, it, it, it just has to go, you know? And that came at a significant financial cost to us, but our lives and our time together has been so much more plentiful and abundant. Our experiences have been, uh, you know, just deeper, deeper. I mean, it's just, it, it was the right decision for our family. Mm -hmm. So that's where Hourless Life came about because we wanted something in the title that said less. And then right. the idea was, as we had freed ourselves from having to be in a cubicle or from having to be on a Zoom call or answer telephone calls or, or working with clients, it became the point that we, we didn't have that anymore. We didn't have to be anywhere. We didn't have to check in with anyone. So yeah. we became hourless. And that's where that term came from. I love that. That's a great story. So we've taken you from the RV and now you're living in a Jeep and you've overlanded mostly around North America. Tell me what a normal day looks like for the Highland family. There's really two scenarios for a normal day. But in either case, we all wake up without an alarm clock, which is a beautiful change. <laughs> and we usually have a leisurely morning. I mean, we're moving, but we're not moving under time parameters or stress. We make breakfast together and we might go for a little walk or a hike, depending on where we are. And then we'll pack up at our own pace and we'll leave for our next destination. And this is kind of where it changes in the two scenarios that I mentioned, because either it's a work day or it's more of a travel day. Right. And if it's a work day, we have some projects that we need internet. Um, maybe I'm doing a freelance travel project or Eric has a YouTube video that he needs to work on. We'll usually go find a local coffee shop and we'll stay there for a few hours. And the day will conclude with not going too far from the area that we were in. And in the other scenario, after we pack up camp, it's a travel day and we're off to a new location. Maybe we're hitting a national park that day. We're exploring. We're going to walk around a cool little town or a city that we discovered, taking Caspian to a playground. I mean, it's a little bit of normal life and a little bit of exploration. We do still have to fit in laundry and groceries and all of those things. And uh, we end the night usually with finding a dispersed campsite on public land somewhere is what we yeah. prefer to do. Sometimes when that's not available, we might end up at a campground or even at a friend's house because we have a wonderful community here in the United 
United States. And uh, that's it. That's what our days look like. So in the midst of that, there is the genesis of this idea of taking that lifestyle and going around the world with it. And I think, Brittany, you originally had that idea. Walk us through the idea and then the discussion and the decision. You got to tell them the story. I, we will tell the story. So I'll start by saying that I stumbled on the word overlanding somewhere and it caught my attention because I had no idea what it meant. And it was in a travel context. And so I should know what it meant. I was traveling full time. Mm-hmm. Come to find out that overlanding is vehicle based adventure travel, but there's usually a international border crossing aspect to it. And that really blew my mind because other than driving between the US and Canada or Mexico, or maybe within the countries of Europe or something like that. I had no idea that people went on extended trips with multiple border crossings or even that they drove around the world. And I was so impressed and so interested and thought to myself, if I didn't have a one-year-old, then that's what I would want to do. But that can't be for me because this is the chapter of my life that I'm in right now. Mm-hmm. I kind of sat on that for a little bit and ended up Googling overlanding families. Come to find out that a family called the Snaith family had literally driven around the world, starting in the UK, going through the Americas, South Africa, Australia, all the way back through Asia to Europe in four years. And they had done it with two daughters who were four and six when they started. And at that point, all bets were off. And I realized that that was something that we could do as a family and that I really wanted to. But I am one half of a couple. And so now you get to tell your story. (laughs) You got to understand, wait, I didn't know any of this was going on because Brittany's an introvert. So she doesn't talk to me about anything at all until she's had the conversation with herself in her own mind Mm -hmm. and argued with herself before she ever brings it to my attention. So it was unbeknownst to me that Brittany was listening to this podcast. And so we were camped up at Upper Teton View, which is just outside of Jackson Hole. And we had to go into town one day. So we hopped in the Jeep. We were headed into town. And out of the blue, Brittany just says, pull over, pull over, pull over. And I had no idea what had happened. I thought I hit a squirrel. So I'm in the Jeep. I pull over in this parking lot and I slowed the Jeep down. And I don't even think I'd fully stopped. Brittany jumped out of the Jeep. And she runs over in this parking lot to this big box truck looking thing. And Mm. she points at it. She says, this, this is what I want to do. And I had no idea what she was talking about. But that was the day that Eric found out what overlanding was. (laughs) Yeah. So she tells me about this family that's, you know, driven around the world that she's been listening to this podcast. And if you know Brittany at all and how introverted she is, when she comes out boldly like this and says something, she's already thought it through. Like she's, mm-hmm. in other words, she was going on this trip with or without me. <laughs> like th- this was going to happen. And so I just kind of am going along for the ride, which is kind of funny because we have uh, these backpacks that we carry all our clothes in. And um, Brittany's mom sewed on some name tapes for us. And mine says chauffeur, because that's really what I am. I just right. I get to drive the vehicle. And Brittany says instigator, because it was her <laughs> idea to do this journey. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that story. So, and I, I've also learned that you guys are just, you really plan things out 
very well, a lot of detail and stuff like that. So I can just imagine going from that discussion and decision into how are we going to do this? And of course, one of the first things you're going to try to figure out is what's going to take us around the world? What kind of vehicle do we need? And I don't think it wound up being the big box truck. No. No, it didn't. Although we did look at them. And mm-hmm. so we, we looked at every vehicle. We, we were crawling underneath Unimogs. We were looking at double cabs. We looking at trailers. Trailers. We, mm-hmm. we toured the Earth Roamer factory. We went, not that we could afford it, but we, we looked at Earth cruisers, um, adventure vehicles. I mean, you name it. We looked at every type of vehicle, but it wasn't really until we had done our first international overlanding trip into interior Mexico that we started to drill down based on experience mm-hmm. of the type of overlanding that we enjoy. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember we were sitting in an Italian restaurant in San Miguel de Allende in Mexico. And I think we both had, we, it was an excellent conversation in which we realized how much we love cities and towns And so we do love this part of overlanding that's self-reliant and you're off grid and you can go out and carry everything that you, that you need. We love having a Jeep, which has off-road capability to take us to all kinds of places. And yet there we were in the middle of this charming town where we had got an Airbnb, we caught the bus right into town. We were walking around and eating at a restaurant and we were like, we love this. And we don't want to end up with a vehicle that's going to take this experience away from us by being too big mm-hmm. and too difficult to manage in towns and cities. Yeah. When we were down in Mulehe in 2020, um, we were parked right downtown. And I mean, when I say downtown, we are parked on the plaza. On the, our, yeah, the city square, vehicle. right? And that was with our Jeep Wrangler because we hadn't built out our Gladiator yet. And there was this couple, really sweet couple, really nice couple, but they had this big box truck. And the guy was driving and the gal was outside with a wooden dead man's pole <laughs> lifting up power wires that were Ooh. electrified so that they could drive underneath it. Mm-hmm. trying to get into town where we were parked mm-hmm. and eventually they gave up they mm-hmm. they gave up and they had to park on the outskirts of town and that was almost confirmation to us that that's not the type of vehicle that we wanted now it's not to say that it wouldn't work for somebody else in their style of travel it definitely but, has its benefits but for yeah. us we wanted a smaller vehicle for that purpose and then there were other reasons too wade we didn't want to carry debt around the world that mm-hmm. was really important yeah. to us so we didn't want to have a vehicle that we were making payments on. We wanted it to be small enough to fit inside a shipping container because we plan to ship it across the ocean. And so while you can do a roll-on, roll-off, we decided that we actually wanted to container our mm-hmm. vehicle for this global journey. So there were quite a few considerations, the size, the weight, the height, all of these things, off-road capability. We wanted that as well. So as we started to kind of drill down and get a little bit closer to what we thought was a good fit for us, when the Gladiator was discussed by Scott Brady and Matt Scott on the Overland Journal podcast, which I think was episode 12 of theirs, mm-hmm. um, it really felt like home to us. You know, yeah. we, we started exploring that as an option, and that's where we landed. So you chose the Gladiator. Your Gladiator has a name, Dauntless. Where did that come from? Yeah, well, so we we threw around a lot of names. (laughs) I think I pushed them out of my memory because they were so terrible. But 
this one was Eric's idea. Dauntless was Eric's mm-hmm. idea. And of course, it just has this meaning of indefatigable perseverance in the face of odds and even more special. So it has a a double meaning to it because it was actually the name of Eric's first cutter in the United States Coast Guard. And so we love the meaning of the word, but it also is a nod to Eric's background and his exploration. That's excellent. Uh, you went through a, just a, a major build and a lot of thought went into it because you're not just building a vehicle for you guys. I mean, you're building your home. And so you have multiple considerations, obviously. Take us on, if you will, a, a verbal tour of the major components of your build on your Gladiator. Wow. I want to be respectful of audience's time. Yeah. <laughs> I, could talk, I could talk about Dauntless for a long time. There's been a lot of work that's gone into this vehicle. But the, the major thing is, you know, Dauntless is uh, specifically designed for global international overlanding. Mm-hmm. And so he's a very different vehicle uh, because if I were building him just for North America, it would have been a completely different build. Right. But we'll start with the fact that he's the Gladiator Sport S with the max tow package, which provides the highest payload capacity of any trim level in the Jeep Gladiator line. Mm-hmm. And so the manual transmission on that vehicle would actually give you 1,700 pounds payload, where the automatic transmission gives you uh, 1,565 pounds of payload capacity. So that was the platform that we started with. And then uh, the major components on there we have the Alucab Canopy Camper, uh, right. which is our our shell, our home. Uh, that's pretty much an empty shell, though. When you get it, it has a uh, a tent that a clamshell tent that comes out of the top. And there's a full size bed up top. A yeah. full size bed up top, and then it's um, it's fitted to the vehicle, so it's not a slide in. It's literally placed permanently mm-hmm. on the vehicle. Um, and sealed and then um, we needed the interior built out so our entire interior was uh, designed by Goose Gear uh, who partnered with Alucab and they built out various modules that are interchangeable you can you know people can pick and choose what they want to use we went with two double drawer modules two utility cabinets a bulkhead system a corner system and uh, it works really well for us we have u-shaped seating inside if we remove sleep deck platforms uh, we have the ability to create a stand-up desk inside, uh, plenty of storage. Uh, it's just a really, really fantastic interior build. And a built-in Webasto heater, which is plumbed to our stock gas tank on the Gladiator. Right. And then we awesome. added a, a, a secondary gas tank from Long Range America. So we uh-huh. actually have the ability to carry an additional 17 gallons of fuel uh, on Dauntless, so we have 39 total gallons, and it doesn't interfere with the placement of the spare tire underneath, which may not sound significant, but when you get to Africa, it's a good idea to probably have two spare tires, so we'll have <laughs> the ability to carry two spare tires and 39 gallons of fuel on a Jeep Gladiator, which is unheard of. Um, and then, you know, there's a lot of other components. Red Arc does all of our electronics. We've got our Warren Winch and our Cascadia 4x4 panels and a Renogy 170 amp hour lithium battery that we, we will run out of food and water long before we ever run out of power on this vehicle. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and there's so much to say on this um, way. We have the full build of our of Dauntless on our YouTube channel. 
right. on a playlist. And so people, if they're really interested, they can go see it go from stock to what it is now with every excruciating detail. But definitely <laughs> want to be respectful of the audience because, like I said, I can talk for hours on Donnelly's. Yeah, and it was interesting. I mean, I watched a few of those videos and the way you guys went through, again, building this for the specific purpose that you had in mind. I mean, for example, you bypassed propane mm-hmm. on your cook stove. You, uh, you know, something that I probably would not have thought about. Tell us why. We don't have any propane on this vehicle anywhere. We don't have it for our stove and we don't have it for our heater. Mm. And it's very common here in the United States to use propane for both. And the reason that we don't is that in different countries around the world, the fittings for refilling your propane are completely different. And so in order to do a journey of this magnitude, we would need to try to find the right fittings and then we would need to store them and carry them. And then there's the issue of finding a place to refill your propane during hours that it's open. And to us, that was just way more hassle if it was even possible. And so we decided to use the unleaded gasoline only for heating and our stove that we're already carrying for our Jeep. Mm -hmm. That's great. I mean, that just simplifies things so much to cut back on the number of different fuel sources and all that you have to use. So... You guys went into such detail with this. I mean, you even defined a clean side and a dirty side to your vehicle. When I first heard that, I'm going like, I have no idea what they're talking about. So once you explained it, it was, it was such a cool concept. I mean, walk me through that just one more time. Sure. So, you know, and this this came from experience, Wade. I want to I want to be very clear that, you know, we didn't start out with a clean side and a dirty side. But when you live this lifestyle full time and this is your home. Uh, certain needs uh, Mm. become, you know, kind of come to the forefront and you start (laughs) to realize, hey, you know, I live outside. I live outside. So, uh, you know, you want to minimize how much you're tracking in and out of your home. And uh, so on Dauntless, the the entire Dauntless build was based on one thing, and that is where is Caspian going to sit? As silly as that sounds, <laughs> the entire build was built around that one thing. Mm-hmm. So we knew we wanted Caspian to sit right behind the driver for two reasons. One, so he wouldn't distract the driver. And two, so that the person sitting in the passenger seat could minister to him, whether that's mm-hmm. reading him a book or passing him some snacks or you know toys or having a conversation or going through school while we're driving. All of those things, we wanted that diagonal cut from the passenger front seat to the uh, driver's side rear seat. When we knew he was going to be behind the driver, we knew we could remove the 60% seat in the back of the gladiator that's on the passenger side. And when we did that, we decided that we wanted the refrigerator to be there. Now, the refrigerator needed to be there for two reasons. One, because it's inside the cab. A lot of people don't think about this, but it's inside the cab, which means when you're driving the vehicle, that cab is air conditioned and the refrigerator is right. not having to work as hard. Mm-hmm. A lot of people will put this in the back of their alley cab canopy camper, or the back of something, and it gets really hot back there. And that refrigerator is working overtime. It doesn't have to do that with us. Once that refrigerator was there on top of the goose gear high seat delete, it meant that it was coming out. It was sliding out of the passenger side rear door. That right there defined which side of our vehicle was going to be our living side. Right. For us, the living side of the vehicle is the passenger side of the vehicle. 
which meant that was our clean side. Getting back to what you were asking me. So the clean side is where we live. We live outdoors. So the awning, which we have a 270 degree Alucap shadow on, that was going to be on the passenger side of the mm -hmm. vehicle. The refrigerator comes out on the passenger side of the vehicle. Our chairs and tables get set up on the passenger side. Our cooking stove gets up, set up on the passenger our side. Water spigot our, is there. Our water mm -hmm. spigot is right. on the rear passenger side corner of Dauntless, and our uh, tables and our cooking um, bags and everything hang there. And then we had the door of the Alucap Canopy Camper because you enter from the back. Into right. The canopy camper. Mm -hmm. We we had that reverse engineered to open from right to left. And mm -hmm. I think it's the only Alucab Canopy Camper that I know of in which this has been done because they're designed to open from yeah. the factory from left to right. Mm -hmm. uh, but we actually had ours flipped. What that does is it creates a clean side of the vehicle on the passenger side where you live, you cook, you eat, you hang out. Nothing dirty happens on that side of the vehicle. But the minute you walk around that door, the back door, the main entrance of the Canopy mm -hmm. Camper, now all of this is on the driver's side, including our trash can. So that's dirty. That's the mm -hmm. dirty side of the vehicle. Our recovery gear is on that side. So if we have to spray it off, if it's got mud or muck on it and, and all that debris is falling, that lands on the driver's side of the vehicle. And then our toilet and our shower are also on the driver's side of the vehicle. So anything that we could get dirty or if we're having debris or spraying things off, that's all going to happen on the driver's side. Whereas on the passenger side, it's all clean. We keep that whole area clean because that's our living space. And it makes a huge difference. But again, for full time. And again, it goes back to you're not necessarily just building out a vehicle. You're building out your home. And obviously, if we were sitting down with an architect, we would design our home in a specific way. And that's exactly what you guys did. It was, it was actually very impressive to watch the videos on how you did that build out. I know you were very particular about your payload, mm -hmm. about what you had to work with uh, with the Jeep. Where'd you end up? Wait, what? So we we did take our payload extremely seriously on this build, which is our second overlanding build. Mm. With our Jeep Wrangler, it was built for rock crawling. It ended up like a Franken Jeep because we never took <laughs> off all the heavy off-roading components. We just built over top of them. Mm -hmm. So that Wrangler was extremely overweight, and we didn't want to do that again um, for the safe, for our safety in the Gladiator, for the handling of the vehicle off-road, uh, for insurance reasons. We wanted to stay within payload. And so we had a spreadsheet from the very beginning before we months before we ever started the build back when we were figuring out just what components we were going to use right. and we had the payload capacity there then we added our weights onto there we added the weight of our water of our extra fuel everything that we could think of to stay under our payload capacity and at the end of the day we did not stay under our payload capacity, and uh, I really don't know how it would have been possible for us living in it full time and going around the world. We literally need, you know, 12 months of the year, everything that we need. Yeah, um, and this is not way like like planning for a weekend trip or a week-long right. trip where you know what the weather is going to be. We have to be four seasons capable. Mm -hmm. We have to have uh, contingency plans for things because... We don't have access to your local parts store, your local, you know, 
uh, REI. They, right, <laughs> they don't right. have those where we're going. Yeah. And so, you know, it's a, it's a whole different build. But, but having said that, we saved our suspension for last. And mm-hmm. so we didn't work on our suspension until the build was finished and we could weigh it and know what we needed for our suspension. And then we were very intentional in the way that we built out the suspension to mitigate the fact that we were over payload. Right. And our suspension is actually tuned uh, to 360 pounds over what we're carrying. Okay. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So while while we've exceeded payload, the suspension itself is designed to carry 360 more pounds than we are fully kitted out. Mm-hmm. So it's a balance. You know, you really can't uh, increase payload on a vehicle. That's kind of a myth. Vehicles are designed for a certain payload. Right. But you can mitigate, um, you know, uh, mm-hmm. the weight using suspension components. And, and we've done the best we can with that. I, I know you guys were were so careful about that and so particular because uh, at Overland Expo, I walked up uh, to Eric and handed him a couple of patches from Gaia, uh, Gaia GPS, and he goes, no, just one. And it took me just a second, and then I realized exactly what he meant, you know, and, and I thought, wow, you know, this isn't talking about it. This is living it. So tell everybody, Eric, just your wardrobe, what do you have that you are taking with you to wear to go around the world? Sure. Um, so, you know, we each have a backpack. So yeah. Brittany has a backpack. I have a backpack and Caspian has a backpack. And the rule is you can take anything you want clothes wise, as long as it fits in the backpack. Mm-hmm. And if it fits in the backpack, then it travels. Right. And so I, I have three three T-shirts, uh, two button-up T-shirts. Um, I have two pairs of shorts, three pairs of pants that convert into shorts, right? So du- double duty, right? right? Three pairs of socks. I have one pair of shoes, a pair of hiking boots, and a pair of flip-flops. And that's it. And that's what's going around the world with me. However, I do have a slight ball cap obsession, and I have a, a jacket obsession, Mm-hmm. And I'm still trying to be cured of this. Uh, I, I'm not <laughs> sure that there is a cure. And so I have a little attic in the back that really has way, way too many jackets for what we need and yeah. too many ball caps. But, so all of these considerations are real. So the, the one patch thing was not a joke. <laughs> I no, really I just wanted yeah. one. <laughs> it, 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 it really, I, that, I, actually, that interaction just really opened my eyes. I mean, I had heard the words, but you know, from you before, but just that interaction, I go, wow, you know, th- these guys are serious about this. You came into this from the RV world, and I, I heard you mention uh, while we are at Overlanding that there are some resources from the RV world that you've brought with you into the Overlanding world as well, primarily in, in informational resources. You want to talk about that for just a second? I think that there's a movement happening right now that we watched happen in RVing. So when we started RVing in 2014, we were some of the youngest full-time RVers that we knew. And now I feel that, I mean, there's so many, there's so many families with young kids. There's so many people who are location independent out of a van or out of a different kind of RV. And now there's a change happening within the travel space in the United States in particular 
where people are starting to full-time overland and it's mm -hmm. becoming more and more common all the time. I'm running into people on Instagram who are saying we're getting ready to start going full-time as overlanders. But as that happens, there are a lot of needs and those needs are in common between RVers and overlanding. And they often have to do with working remotely. They have to do with right. internet access. And so on a lot of Facebook groups for overlanders, people are asking questions like, what is your internet setup? How do you stay connected? And I kind of bang my head against the wall because all of those problems have already been solved among full-time RVers mm -hmm. because they've just been on the road for longer. So there's the coverage app. It's coverage with a question mark where it uses the Google Maps API and you can overlay your cell, uh, cell phone network, whether it's AT&T, Verizon, or T-Mobile, and see whether there is a signal at the campsite that you're looking at, and even what the strength of the signal is. There's Campendium, which is a wonderful mobile app for finding camping places that gives you the internet connectivity there. Right. There's Mobile Internet for RVers, which is a membership program where our friends Chris and Cherie have done all of the research on cell phone plans, cell phone boosters, and every kind of equipment you could ever imagine that you might need to live and work on the road. They've already done the research, put out the reviews, and are giving suggestions on these topics. There's even a group of people that I've seen on the internet in the Overland space saying, well, how do you do this? Like, what type of remote work do you do? Or what, what are the opportunities out there? If this is something I want to do, there's actually a group called the RV Entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And it is filled with people who are doing this exact thing, traveling full time, making an income or living on the road. And they're discussing this in all kinds of different ways to make money and live on the road. And you see this question asked in overlanding groups and nobody has an answer. Yeah. People will say, this is what I do, or this is what that person does, but they don't have a resource to point them to and say, hey, go check out this entrepreneur network. Or in the RV space, if somebody were to ask that question, we would just point them to RV entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for some reason, overlanders aren't looking outside of themselves for those answers. I think maybe they think that RVers are too different or something. I have no <laughs> idea why. It doesn't make sense to me because the needs are the very same and the answers are the very same. So we always point uh, prospective full-time overlanders to all of the RV resources that we know about. Because we came from there, we realized that the resources that are there really cross over so well into the overlanding space and that they've been doing it for so much longer that it just merits, you know, investigation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a while back I discovered Campendium and, you know, for boondocking, I figure if an RV can get, you know, a half mile down that forest road, I can probably go a little further than that. And by the way, Gaia GPS now has those same overlay maps you were talking about for the cell phone carriers. So if you have your trip planned out on uh, Gaia GPS, you can just overlay whatever your carrier is, and it gives you gives you the uh, coverage maps because that's pretty important, especially you know with you guys doing business. It really right. is, you know. And and the funny thing is, somebody pointed that out to me at Overland Expo West when we were talking there about you know some of the resources that we had found. And so between Overland Expo West and our next 
um, event that we went to in Texas, I actually went on and I looked at those Gaia overlay maps and they're really cool. So if you guys have Gaia, <laughs> check that out now. You're already there. Yeah. Okay. We have danced around this for a little bit here. Your son Caspian is just this absolute ray of sunshine. I enjoyed meeting him so much. He's absolutely fearless. And I don't think he's ever met a stranger. I need some favorite Caspian stories for mom and dad. Oh my gosh, where to begin? Yeah, he is so awesome. He brightens all our days. We were at the doctor yesterday. Uh, His doctor just wanted to check in with him one more time before we crossed the border. And he didn't know that he was going to need the annual flu shot. And so that was upsetting when we found out about that, but he did so well. He was really brave. He didn't cry this time and we got through it. And so we were coming out of the appointment and I said to him, Caspian, I am so glad that you didn't let your fear get the best of you. And he responded, I let the best of me get the best of me. (laughs) And we just loved that so much. I think we would all do well to have the best of us get the best of us. (laughs) And and that's such a special story because I I, I thought about that afterwards, Wade. And Mm -hmm. something that I thought about was, you know, he was very afraid. He was concerned. He was anxious. Mm And we talked to him, you know, right before it all happened, he chose to sat on my lap, mm-hmm. sit on my lap and, and Brittany was, you know, giving him some, some words of encouragement. But when the actual procedure took place, he didn't flinch. He didn't wince. He didn't whimper. He didn't cry. Mm-hmm. He just went through it. But as I reflected on that, I thought to myself, this little four-year-old just rallied this level of courage and strength yeah. in you know, in the face of fear right. and uncertainty. And what about us? We're, we're getting ready to drive around the world. You know, there's mm-hmm. going to be times where fear tries to poke its ugly head into our journey. And I hope that we can learn from our four-year-old's experience and the way he handled that. And uh, yeah, so that just spoke volumes to me. Yeah. You know, sometimes from the mouths of babes comes great philosophies for living life. Now, you're going to homeschool, obviously. The home's just rolling along. I I saw a great clip out of one of your videos where you were discussing the solar system with him. And you're Mm -hmm. you're out in the desert and you're taking rocks and you're basically having him design the solar system as you're going through. How do you think traveling on this world journey is going to benefit Caspian in his education? I loved academia when I was younger. Every subject, everything that I could learn out of a book, I wanted to know. And yet reflecting back on that, it's just so apparent that some of the most important things that we need to learn in life, we can't learn from a book. And each person in this world has something to teach. They have an experience, a career, an insight, some wisdom that they've learned from their experience. And so we are so looking forward to all the people that we're going to meet across all different cultures and languages and countries. I know that we're going to meet people who have very little 
by our United States standards. Mm -hmm. And we've already seen in Mexico that those are some of the most generous, hospitable people in the world. Mm -hmm. And so those are the lessons that Caspian is going to have ingrained in him from a young age that he won't you know, make assumptions or learn bad habits that he has to try and correct as an adult with this big perspective change that some right. of us go through as adults. And no one will ever be able to tell him what a certain people group is like on the news because he's going to tell them, I know what they're like. I've been there and I I've met them. There. <laughs> I have friends. I've eaten in their home. Hmm. This is what they're really like. Let me tell you. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just think that is the most valuable education that he can have. And I can't wait to see what he does with that. I think it's going to be incredible. Yeah. And I think our, our general philosophy, too, is, you know, he's curious, you know, just like all kids are. He's curious about things, but we tailor his curiosity to his education. So, right. you know, that whole solar system thing that you saw in our YouTube video, he saw the moon. And he was asking questions about the moon or he right. saw the sun or he was asking questions about that. And that led into that. Mm -hmm. But he's already expressed that he's interested in this. Mm -hmm. And so we're able to do English and math and science and, you know, uh, statistics and all of these things that would be taught from a book in a classroom. On some kind of rigid curriculum. Because right. It's chapter two. So we no. need to learn that now because it's in chapter two. Right. Yeah. But instead, mm -hmm. he'll be fascinated with an ant for example. Mm -hmm. So we can talk about how much weight the ant can carry in proportion to its weight right. and how it lives in a colony and how each one has its own job. And so we can talk about biology and we can talk about science and, and we can talk and about chemistry math, because chemistry. they follow chemical trails. You know. and mm -hmm. what, whatever you're doing, keep on doing it because it's, uh, mm -hmm. it's really working well. As we start to wrap this up, how has your nomadic lifestyle, both RVing and overlanding, changed you as individuals and as a couple? Are you far enough into it to be able to define some of those changes? No, that's, that's deep <laughs> questions with Wade. No, that's a great question. Um, yeah. I mean, for me, it's definitely caused us to need to learn to communicate with one another better, to be more transparent with one another. Uh, there's, you, you, there's nothing to hide when you're living in a Jeep, <laughs> when you're living in a, in a vehicle that small. There's no walking away and getting a moment to yourself in the middle of a conversation. Mm -hmm. There's no closing of a door and separating yourself to be able to, you know, kind of take a step back from something. It's all right there real time. And uh, thankfully, Brittany is my best friend. And we, you know, I think sometimes you, you'll hear that or people say nice things because they're supposed to say it. That, that's just the truth. Brittany and I are best friends and that's made all the difference. But from a communication standpoint, um, I think it's, it's caused us uh, to learn how to communicate better. Um, and communication is the key. And I think for me, and I, I'm just starting on this journey, but when we first confronted international overlanding into Mexico, I was afraid 
I was afraid to go. I was afraid that the things that I saw in the news and that people were saying were going to be true, that we were in danger, that we were Mm -hmm. going to get hurt, that every police officer was going to pull us over and try to bribe us for money. And all these things that go through your head because of the inputs. I mean, we were hearing it and then you have to process it. And if you've never done it, you don't know what's true and what's not true. And I'm so glad that we went in 2019 and had the experience that we did in Mexico and repeated it again with our trip to Baja in 2020, because I realized that what I had heard from other international overlanders was true, which was people in other countries are welcoming, they're generous, they're gracious, they're like us. They have families. They're trying to earn a living. There's just so much commonality of the human experience. And um, that is just something that I want to share with other people who haven't gone international overlanding yet. And the reason that they're not going is because of that same fear that I used to have. And uh, that's something that's really important to me. And I I know that we have a lot of wonderful things yet to experience and people to meet. And I just want to share the people who we meet with our community, who's mostly back here in the United States. And I've changed in that way. I've realized all the things that I was assuming that were incorrect. And I don't have that fear anymore. Not at all it's completely gone just through the little experience that we've had. And so that's a way that I've really been impacted to this point. Wow. Those are two just really wonderful answers. Thanks for that. Okay. So how can our listeners find out more about you guys and follow your upcoming around the world expedition? Sure. So there are four ways that you can follow our global journey. The first is our brand new, we just launched it, our Patreon account. Yeah, we're so excited to have launched our Patreon and to have this much more intimate group of friends who we can really go behind the scenes with and be super transparent about Mm -hmm. the ins and outs, the ups and downs of driving around the world. And uh, we have some benefits for our patrons that are unique to us because we are not going to have regular internet connectivity. And a lot of times Patreon benefits rely on constant (laughs) internet connectivity. And, And we should say that, you know, As Brittany mentioned, internet connectivity sometimes here in the U.S. isn't great. Around the world, it's definitely a challenge. And Mm. so when we do get connectivity, Mm. for those people who want to kind of be more real-time, if I only have a little bit of internet connectivity, it's going to be devoted to our Patreon because they're investing in us. We want to be able to give back to them. Right. Having said that, um, we are going to continue all of the other. Uh, right. So forms. the second way is on YouTube. Mm-hmm. We're going to keep up our YouTube channel. We may not be able to post every Thursday, but we will do our darndest to get up right. a video every Thursday. The third way is that we have a website, ourlesslife.com. And I mentioned earlier in the interview that we combined all of our past travel content dating back to 2014 into this website. There is so much there. And I'm going to continue writing and answering the questions we get the most about educating a child around the world, remote work, our gear and our build. Mm -hmm. So that'll be an active platform. And last but not least is our social media. So we are on Instagram. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest as well. 
So depending on the platform of your choice, pay your nickel, take your choice, but join <laughs> us on the journey is the bottom line. Yeah, it's you all know. hourless life, every single yeah, one of those platforms. We just want to be intentional about sharing this. Like I said at the beginning of this interview with you, Wade, you know, our family mission statement is love, explore, study, and share. And it's in that order for a reason. I want to cover those really quick because they're very important to us. Love. We want to love on the people that we meet. I want to be more interested in the woman who's cooking the tamales than the tamales that are going in my stomach. Mm -hmm. I want to know her story. I want to know her background. I want to know, I want to know about her. I want to care about her. You know, that's really important to us. Um, explore. We want to explore the entire world. You know, there's, there's nothing that we see as off limits for us. There might be some countries that don't allow us to come in because of other countries we visited or something of that nature, but we don't have a fear of the world. And so we want to explore that. And while we're exploring it, we want to study. We want to study the culture and the history and the people and what they've been through and the architecture, all of those things. And as we learn those things, we want to share that with our community. And that's what really leads to all this social media. We we do this because we genuinely care about our community and our community becomes our support network around the globe. Think about it this way. At some point in time, something's going to happen. And I'm going to post, hey, we are in the Bolivian salt flats and I just broke my front axle <laughs> and we are stuck. And somebody in our community is going to know somebody who's probably two hours from our current position. Right. You know, and those people become our support community. So our community is really important to us from the standpoint that we want to share with them, but we also need from them. Like we need that level of support and we need their global connections. So, yeah, Great. really important. Eric, Brittany, it has been an absolute pleasure. I mean, thank you for being on the podcast. We wish you two and Caspian the absolute best in this new chapter and maybe we can check in with you along the way and get some updates every once in a while. We'd be happy to if you ever want to record live from some foreign location. And, uh, you let us know. <laughs> Sounds like fun to me. Don't forget, you can follow the Highlands too. Their hourless life on all their social media platforms. While you're doing that, don't forget to visit our show notes on the Guide GPS blog for links to the discounts for Trails Off-Road and Guide GPS. And if you liked our show, stop by Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. It really keeps us going. We take your comments to heart, so let us know what you think. Thanks for listening in. This is Wade. See you next time.